The greatest thing about working in the restaurant industry is that you worked with other people and yet you dealt with people on a regular basis. Mm. And I think that helps a lot and would help a lot for anybody that wants to get out there. If you want to get anywhere in life, you're usually going to be helping somebody else get what they want and then you'll get what you want. You know, the amazing thing is if you're already in a business or in a corporation and you're managing a group of people, you're already running a business. Yeah. You're an, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. If we go into a recession, then I'm going to get busy. Okay. People get laid off. I get busy. That's okay. all there is to it. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. We're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Gregory Moore. So the reason that I wanted to bring on Greg is that this year, I'm really trying to give practical and distilled lessons to beginner entrepreneurs, people who are maybe at the beginning of the journey, or you're thinking about getting into it, or maybe you're thinking about diversifying your income streams or something like that. And so I just wanted to try to bring on some people this year who are going to help open up the possibilities for you. And Greg is one of those guys. Greg is a franchise consultant, and he's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of the book Real Freedom, Why Franchises Are Worth Considering and How They Can Be Used for Building Wealth. And so what Greg does, really cool offer, is that he actually sits down with people for free. So um, he's a consultant that doesn't charge anything because uh, what happens is you sit down with them for free, and then if you end up really enjoying the concept of doing a franchise, and uh, and he helps you pick a franchise based on your skill sets, mindset, experience, the things that you like to do, the things uh, maybe that you have some uh, proclivity toward. Um, he will help match you with the correct franchise uh, for you to go open and start for yourself. Um, so you can become an entrepreneur, but you can use the systems and processes of somebody who's already figured this stuff out by their concept through a franchise, start your own, and now... Voila, you're a first time entrepreneur or you're a, you know, fill in the blank time entrepreneur. Uh, but this one will be maybe be a little bit less risky than the last, you know, six different companies that you tried. So, um, Greg is somebody who actually, full disclosure, became a client of ours inside of Guestio, where we, we represent people, we get them booked on podcasts. And I actually asked him to come on my show so that we could talk about this because, first of all, I was genuinely interested and I am genuinely interested in opening up a franchise at some point myself. Um, but I also, uh, just really like the idea of franchising for people who have never done entrepreneurship or have uh, maybe dipped their toe in the water. Maybe maybe you're a salesperson or something like that, and so you have some skills in the business world that might translate, like uh, like you know direct sales or marketing or something like that. But maybe you don't have all the other pieces, right? The systems, the processes, the HR, the finance, legal, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you don't know anything about that stuff. Well, if you plug into a franchise, you get all of those things done for you and handed to you, turnkey solution. And that allows you to focus on the thing that maybe you're pretty good at, like talking to people or bringing in customers or what have you. So um, this is an interesting conversation to have with Greg, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, so please, without further ado, enjoy this conversation that I had with Greg Moore. 
What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I am making friends with Greg Moore. Greg, what's up? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Travis. I appreciate it. Yes, Honored sir. To be here. Yes, sir. Hey, well, you know, we're, we're Vegas is a little bit cold right now. It's insanely busy with CES, like we're talking about. But uh, you know, it's still never a bad time to be out here. You know, there's always stuff to do. There's always good food to eat. Um, you know, all that good stuff. You got anything planned for the rest of the day after this? I'm going to go wander around, see what's going on out there in the uh, in the neighborhood. Look like there's a lot of activity, a lot of exciting things. So there's we'll a lot of activity. Happening. If you get a second, um, I don't know if you have like dinner plans or anything, but the Durango Casino just finished getting built about a month ago. They opened about a month ago, um, and there's a dozen different really good food options in there, like all different types of food. We've probably been four or five times now and eaten at different places every time we've gone. Um, but I haven't had anything that I would not recommend so far. So excellent. Um, and it's like a mile from, from the house here. So yeah, wow. check it out, man. See yeah. how it goes. Um, well, listen, Greg, I, I wanted to bring you on the show. Well, first of all, for you know, full disclosure, you're a client of ours. We help you get booked on podcasts and stuff like that. And sometimes when I sign some clients, I go, that's somebody who I would like to talk to on my podcast. And for this particular conversation, the reason for that is that there's a lot of people listening to the show who are entrepreneurs, but there's also a lot of people who are, are trying to make the transition into entrepreneurship. And maybe they have some soft skills, maybe they're in sales, maybe they're in operations or something like that. And they have an inclination that, uh, toward business, but they don't really know exactly where to get started and how to get started. Um, and so I thought this was a great topic of conversation. One of the reasons that I was attracted to your offer uh, is in terms of like representing you and you being one of our clients because we don't, you know, say yes to everybody. Um, was that you don't have like this insanely high ticket coaching program that teaches people about franchises. All you do is sit down, do a consultation, run through like people's wants, needs, desires, you know, different uh, things about their life, um, and then figure out if a franchise might be a good move for them and then match them with the franchise essentially, right? So, um, and then if anything happens, then you get paid by somebody else. So you don't even ever charge that person any money. And I was like, oh, that's a fantastic, like that's one of those offers, you know, like uh, like Hermosi says that you can't say no to. It's just, it's so good that why, why would you say no to this? If you have any interest in doing a franchise, why not set up a consultation with you? So, um, uh, so I wanted to bring you in first of all, just because uh, selfishly, my wife and I are looking at doing a franchise at some point in the near future. So I was like, oh, well, selfishly get a chance to ask some questions that uh, that I have. And probably if I have those questions, there's probably some people out there in the audience who also have those questions. So um, just some context there, but before, or, or just setting up the conversation, but before we get into that conversation, I would like to set, build a little bit of context uh, for people listening and, and um, answer the question in people's minds of like, oh, okay, well, why should I listen to Greg? Um, you know, free consultation sounds cool, but what does that mean for me? Uh, so Let's go ahead and dive back into your past here, Greg. Let's say, let's say, uh, 16, 17 year old Greg Moore, uh, talk to me about family life, set up, uh, set, set the scene for us. What was life like for you? That would be back in 1978. <clears throat> back in, uh, back in those days, most of us that were going to high school at that time, our first jobs were in the, uh, uh food service business, usually the fast food service business. Uh, so I just happened to pick Taco Bell for mine okay. out, of, out of all places to go. And as I worked at Taco Bell for a while and as I moved up in Taco Bell, what I didn't realize is that I was actually working for a master franchisor of Taco mm. Bell. Kathy owned about 50 Taco Bell restaurants. 50? 50 of them wow. throughout the Sacramento, California, Woodland, California, Davis, California area. I lived in Woodland at the time, went to Woodland High School. So I moved up in the ranks with hers and I started running her restaurants. So Kathy was balling. 
She was. <laughs> it was amazing. She yeah. had yeah, 50. I'm like, wow. In the 70s. Back in the 70s, wow. yeah. That's she was, crazy. She was doing great. So that was my first foray into franchising when I got into that. And I thought it was great because I just helped her build up a restaurant. So you just like you were you were working in high school. Right. So in high school, uh, I first started out just um, bending tacos. Back in those days, you know, they didn't, the tacos didn't come pre bench You just got the flour tortillas. You stuck them in oil. Mm. And that's what I did at uh, the age of 16 for four or five hours uh, every afternoon. Did you enjoy school? I did enjoy school. School was pretty okay. easy for me. It wasn't really, uh, wasn't really a challenge. Was, was working at that time just like something that most teenagers did? Or was it something that was specific to you, your family? Was it something that you wanted to do? Did your parents make you get a job? Why were you working at 16? Most people that weren't uh, wealthy at the time uh, worked, and that's what we did. And we weren't a wealthy family at the time. It was just mom and uh, uh, my two sisters okay. and myself. So I worked. I actually ended up working two jobs after what, that. What, what did your mom do? Uh, she was a secretary. Okay. So she's making a meager living, and yep. you're just kind of like, I got I to gotta help out here. I got to contribute in some way. Got to contribute. And if I want anything out of life, then it's time to go out there and get it. What, was college on the table for you? It was always a thought in the back of my head, uh, but not at first. No, it was not. Okay. Not for quite some time, actually. It was making money to begin with, contributing to the family, yeah. and then having some money on the side for myself was the biggest factor at that point in time. What do you recommend to kids now? So like, you know, obviously cultures changed, landscapes changed, um, even the, the worth of a bachelor's degree has changed, the average salary of a college graduate's changed, um, uh, the work ethic of teenagers has seemingly changed, uh, at least to some degree. Um, whether that's just a factor of their, they, they're aware of other options, right? Like now they, they know that they see people like a Logan Paul that's in 27 making tens of millions of dollars a year doing YouTube. And they see that that's like an option and, and maybe that contributes to their lack of desire to do so, to do a job that like doesn't excite them or whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, there's some sort of, de of a decline in all of these different areas. What's your advice typically to, to like a young person, a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, when they're considering their future in terms of, should I just jump in and just start working or should I go to college and, you know, move that path? First thing you got to do is realize the fact that if you want to get anywhere in life, you're usually going to be helping somebody else get what they want and then you'll get what you want. Hmm. Uh, Zig Ziglar on that one. Yeah. Um, Help so, enough people get what they want. You yeah. can have anything you want. Yeah. Yeah, you can. But to do that, you're going to have to realize that you're going to be dealing with people and you're going to be working with people. So the very first thing to do and what was the greatest thing about working in the restaurant industry is that you worked with other people and yet you dealt with people on a regular basis. Hmm. And I think that helps a lot and would help a lot for anybody that wants to get out there. Now it's a, you know, it's a minimum wage job. So if you're looking to get rich quick, you're obviously not going to do it that way yeah. on that one. And when you see those people that are young getting rich real quickly, uh, you know, it, it kind of distorts your vision of, of uh, how life could be. Sure. But not too many people get that way. Yeah. You got to realize that not too many people get there. You could try, but it's good to have other options. So always, uh, I would say get a job right away and get to know how to work with people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the social aspect, the soft skills of always. communication and empathy and respect and working well with fellow human being type thing. Yeah. Very good skill set to have. Yeah, regardless of what you end up doing. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And, and to me, honestly, it seems to me that that's going to be the skill set to have as a human being, right? Like the more, right. the more AI comes in and replaces jobs and over the next decade, two decades um, of, of like, that's just going to be a massive transition in, in what jobs look like in the next, in, in really my entire working career from the time from now until I'm 60, 70 years old, you know, like there's going to be a massive shift in that. And, but I, I don't think that 
I don't think that it's going to be possible to re- replace like the human empathy and uh, communication skills, leadership, um, getting people on board for a mission, you know, the persuasion, like all those types of things are, are difficult to replace um, with with technology. Whereas like doing a job, flipping a burger, putting, you know, bending a taco, you know what I mean? Like those things can be replaced and that particular job already is replaced, you know, by a machine. So um, True. Yeah, there's, there's, it's, it seems like those soft skills are actually going to be like the most important things rather than these more hard technical skills. True. Uh, you really have to, no matter what you do, if you're going to get ahead in business or anything else, you really have to know how to, how to work with people because people like interacting with other people. Yeah. No matter what's done in the background there by mechanics, by robots or what have you, people always like that interaction in any type of business that you're working in. So, so you said you picked up a second job. What, was that also in high school? Yeah, the busing tables. Okay, so right, you were time. going to school, yeah, and then after school you were going and bending tacos. Yep, and then after bending tacos, you go clean up tables. Yep. And how long did you do that for? Uh, probably the uh, not too long for busting the tables on that one. That probably didn't last more than I think my sixteen into partly seventeen. Okay. Then I started moving up at Taco Bell and okay. becoming a shift supervisor, and then I. Uh, the the greatest week of my life is I got to skip high school for a week to go manage uh, uh, the latest restaurants in uh-huh. Davis. I was like, yeah, nice. I get to skip school and go go be a manager. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. What what did that did that just continue moving for you? Like the it Taco did. Bell thing. So mm-hmm. so so talk to me then, like post high school, right? Like your mm-hmm. your first five years out of high school. What was life like? So right out of high school, then I just uh, for the first two years. So I worked two years, uh, became a manager. At 18, then from 19 to 20, I was just managing the Taco Bells okay. on that and doing that. Um, and then I decided I want to move up into something else, into a different type. So I got into uh, the Lions restaurant chain of, of uh, restaurants up there in Northern California. It's like an upscale Denny's. Okay. We had a full bar. And Lions, you said? Lions, L-Y-O-N-S. Okay. I yeah, I think it might be out of business now, but it was okay. in Northern California at the time, uh, all over Northern California. And uh, I started uh, waiting on tables there and then moved up into management on that one and then did that actually for probably another six, seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So your your 20s was really just like building a hardcore foundation in the food service industry. It sure was. Yeah. About yeah. 15 years, I think, altogether. I was, what, in the was it the goal at that time to get into franchising or owning your own spot or anything? Or were you just like, were you just completely focused on, I just got to, I got to pay my bills and help out my family and do what I'm supposed to do. Pay my bills, help out my family, and uh, move up as as much as possible uh, uh, in the restaurant uh, industry and become a manager on that one. You know, of a bigger chain. I went went for Taco Bell, then the bigger one, that's where my goals were for a while at the time. Did you have like an itch to do something more than that at all? Always. Okay. Yeah, I get bored after a while on that one. So I got bored and that's when I went to school. What do you do when you get bored? I look for other things to do. I look for other options. Learn. Look look for other options in within the context of like your career goals or we talk and look for other options like i decided to go bowling more or whatever (laughs) you know what i mean like what career what what specifically does that mean back at the time it was mostly career goals what do i want to do with my life how do i want to live my life Uh, i was seeing that as a restaurant manager after a while that those were a lot of hours Mm. on there especially the lions restaurant was a 24-hour restaurant like Mm. uh, like Like Denny's. so that's a lot of a lot of crazy things going on after hours (laughs) being a manager of that one a lot of stories on that one but I decided that was uh, that was way too many hours. That was sixty hours or so a week. Oh wow! Being a manager on that one, uh, 
people would call in sick and that sort of thing. And, you know, you usually had people to cover them, but occasionally you had to come in yourself and do it. So I decided that that had kind of a ceiling too mm -hmm. on that. I could just go into become a district manager and then I had a bunch of uh, restaurants to run. I think, no, nope, I don't want to go that route. So I was always good at uh, math and physics. So I just said, I'm going to be an engineer. But context to that, uh, grandpa was a mechanical engineer. Dad was a, I think it was an environmental engineer. And then my okay. sister was going to school. My older sister was going to school as a uh, chemical engineer. Oh, wow. Okay. Gotcha. So I decided, well, nobody's an electrical engineer yet. So I'll take that one. So you just went back to school? Yep. I just devoted myself down to waiter, started waiting tables again. Just told him, hey, I've had enough of this. Can huh? I go back down to waiting tables? Yeah. I was in Chico at the time managing the uh, Lions restaurant up there. Okay. And I said, I'm going to go back to Sacramento. Uh, I'm going to go to Sac State and I'm going to get a degree in electrical engineering. <laughs> that is such a weird path. Like, so when you make that decision to go back to school to pursue engineering after you've been in food service for, I mean, a decade, really at that point, mm -hmm. right? Um, what, what are you thinking you're going to do afterwards? Like just go get an engineering job or were you planning on applying something to entrepreneurship? What, like what, what was the intent of, of moving to that different career path? If it's something that you didn't, because you weren't directly experiencing any of that, right? I mean, you had right. siblings and family members and things that were all that were engineers, and you had some exposure to it, uh, but you weren't actually doing it yourself. Like, how, how did how do how do you know? I guess when you're going to make that big of an investment of time, energy, and money into a new career path, how do you know it's worth it if you have not tested it? You have to investigate the um, what the engineers are doing at that time, what kind of things that they're working on, mm -hmm. and what kind of things that you want to work on. And I've always been kind of fascinated with electronics Okay. with that. So that was where the electronics came in. The electronic things were always kind of fascinating to me, all the different things they were coming up with on that. Uh, remember that just right in 1980s, I was getting out of uh, school or out of high school. They were just coming up with uh, computers. Okay. So we didn't have like calculators or anything like that. Sure, sure. When I was back in, in high school. So it was, the electronics is always really kind of fascinated with me. And I was always good at, um, as I indicated before, I was always good at math and physics. I even got bumped ahead. In some of my classes back in junior high. Okay. Because I was a breeze. Uh, math was just a breeze to me. Okay. And so I figured, well, what business, what opportunity out there? It's interesting to me. I'm good at it. I have a proclivity to it. We, right. Yeah, I may as well pursue this. Yeah. How long did it take to go back to school? Oh, I went for four years. So it took years. another four or five years yeah. at that point to shift careers. You're waiting tables the whole time. Waiting tables for most of it. The last year, I quit doing that. Okay. And then I just, because uh, I didn't have money saved up at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, so my last year, I uh, was just strictly uh, going to school. So something about the food service industry kept calling your name, though, obviously, right? So like you get into engineering and then you're like, nah, actually, I kind of want to be back <laughs> managing restaurants. Like, what? Well, well, like, talk to me about, you know, how do you go from engineering and then starting to actually own your own franchises? So. Yeah. I uh, was the uh, food service for 15 years. Okay. Got bored, got a degree, and got a degree in electrical engineering and physics. I thought physics was fascinating at the time, so I did that as well. And then got a degree, uh, then got a job with micro, uh, as a microelectronic circuit engineer with Motorola Semiconductor. Okay. Then I got bored with that. <laughs> How long did it take for you to get 15 bored? Years. 15 years. 15 years again. 15 years okay. again. So it's, we got like blocks of time did, here. Yeah. yeah. So then I said, that's when, <clears throat> oh, so while I was being an engineer, I went to and said, uh, I need to move up my career in engineering. 
So always looking for a path, always looking for how do I move up my career? How do I get uh, more knowledgeable, get more, yep. get more educated? So I went and got my MBA. Oh, okay. Wow. While you, were in, while you were doing engineering. While I was doing engineering. You went back and got your MBA. Got my MBA. And that's when I started reading Robert Kiyosaki's books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Gotcha. And yeah. that's what ruined my corporate career for me at that point. Mm. So his books did that, said there's got to be something better out there. So while I just, was- Just like the knowledge that there was an alternate path. Yeah, the what, knowledge yeah. that the alternate path and then- uh, Exactly. That's pretty much it. I think just yeah, yeah. the the knowledge that there's there's something yeah, like, better. Oh, out I could there. do something different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like, oh. I don't have to trade hours for dollars my entire life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. So that's when uh, uh, at that point in time, also an uh, engineer friend of mine, we bought a dry cleaners together. Yeah. And it had some storage units on it as well. So as being an engineer and getting an MBA, I also was doing the business on the side. And okay. then I had a couple of rental properties as well. Okay. That I ran those on there, but. That was it then for my corporate career after that. And so I said, I need to go out and get my own business on that. But I don't really want to get into that private business like that because that um, that dry cleaners was really a challenge because, you know, we didn't know where to go. We didn't know who to talk to about it. We had to kind of figure it out for ourselves. You know, a little help from the guy that sold it to us. He was like, well, go do that. Go to that. All right. You're good to go. See you later. And that yeah. was it. So I thought, you know, I thought back to my engineering days, not or not my engineering, but my Taco Bell days. And I thought, you know, what was really cool about having those uh, moving around in those restaurants, in those franchise restaurants, because it was the same thing all the time, over and over again, yeah. that I, I could do no matter which one I went into. I thought, I got to get back into that. That was, I, you know, I had a lot of fun there. That was probably one of the most enjoyable times of my life. Granted, I was young, no responsibilities, but sure, yeah. uh, as a, also the fact that you know, you could you could do the same thing because they had that playbook for you. So I said, I got to get back into that, and I got to I got to get into franchising. So that's what led me down the path then to get into a franchise, a telecommunications consulting franchise. That was the franchise, telecommunications consulting. Telecommunications, if I can say that right, telecommunications yeah. <laughs> consulting. I looked at it. I looked at a bunch of them. I looked at like twenty of them. I was you know doing that different franchises or something. No, I was clicking all over the place, checking all these different franchises out. So I yeah. had like twenty different franchise development people calling me, and I finally got a hold of uh, a franchise consultant. Uh, which is one thing I like, you know, letting people know that we exist because even back then I didn't know they existed. And a lot yeah. of people that I work with, they today they don't know, you know, that, that we exist. But I got a hold of one, and he he cleared up the confusion, made it a lot less confusing for me, made it a lot easier, streamlined process to go yeah. through to figure out which one would be a good fit for me. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like a lot of people don't even know that there's franchises that exist that aren't food related, you know. So like, and what what year was this that you were looking into this that you started your first one? Uh, this was 2011, 2010, 2011. So 2010, 2011, your first franchise has nothing to do with food industry, even though that's what you had experience in directly. And when you would think about franchises, you think typically food, you think like Jimmy John's and you think McDonald's and you Mm -hmm. think these, you know, big fast food franchises, you know, but you don't really think about telecommunications consulting, right? So, uh, but that, but that speaks to the need for having franchise consultants is to like show you what's even available out there. And then, uh, and then kind of line up, what are you currently good at? What do you enjoy? You know, like what type of profit are you looking for? What type of involvement in the business do you want? Right? Like stuff like that. And cause there's so many, there's so many variables to, to all those questions and there's different franchise concepts that might fit for different, you know, personality profiles and interests, um, that, that people might have. Right. Absolutely. Travis. Absolutely. I mean, we, that the thing we think about is the things that we see all the time. So we're driving around. And all we see is, you know, the McDonald's, the Taco Bells, like you're referring to, Meineke's, Mako, Supercuts, Great Clips. And 
unless you use the services uh, in the services industry for the franchises, you don't know they exist. So with the Belfour Group, they're one of the largest restoration companies in the whole wide world. They have 1-800-WATER-DAMAGE. But if you never had water, fire, or smoke damage, you're not going to know they existed. You probably don't even know that they cleaned up half of the Katrina mess out there oh, on wow. there unless you're keeping track of that sort of thing. Wow. So these are the things that you, you don't necessarily know or, or, uh, or hear about. Yeah. So, so how was your experience opening up your first franchise? Oh, it was. It really set the stage for it. Dennis Schooley, the guy who uh, who was the franchise franchise or that he just had that training program down pat. Hmm. He he said these are all the things you got to do. These are the people you connect with. This is how you contact them. This is how you get your clients when you get in front of your people. This is what you say to them on that. So he really set the stage for what franchising was all about, which was great help and great assistance from the franchisor. Yeah. There, you know, there, there's one thing with franchises that I feel like uh, is is overlooked sometimes because it can be it can be overwhelming for somebody who's never done anything in business, who's never who's never left the comfort of their like safe job to branch out and do something on their own, especially when it costs a couple hundred thousand dollars, three, four hundred thousand dollars. You know, yep. it's like, well, I don't have three, four hundred thousand dollars. What am I supposed to do now? You know, and but right. because it's such a duplicatable, repeatable, completely vetted system. Uh, banks will give you money for it. You know, like that, that's, that's one of the things about opening up a business like that is that it, b- because of everything that's already been done for it, people that have money are more likely to give you money to start that business than they are to just like come up with your own brand new concept or like to innovate a new idea or just have the software startup or to build the next social media company. You know what I mean? Like those are more like people, those are more like venture capitalists that are taking massive risk and hoping one out of a hundred investments pans out to the tune of billions of dollars. Whereas like the bank or the SBA, they're, 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 they're happy to give out small business loans. They want to give loans to small business. They want to generate uh, more jobs and more revenue and more spending in the economy. They want to do those things, uh, but they're just not going to do it for like your brand new innovative startup idea that you can't even really explain. And like they go to put it in the, you know, the, the um, classification when you're opening up a bank account, they don't even know where to put it in. You know what I mean? Like, well, what exactly is this? Is some e-com thing? What are you doing? You know, but if you go in with a franchise concept that's proven time and time again that the uh, it's the FTC that vets it or, F- or the SEC, uh, Federal Trade Commission rec- regulates a lot. The of FTC, it. okay, so the FTC's already vetted the concept. They already have said like you, you got to put together this like three hundred freaking page yep. FDD, right? The franchise disclosure right. document. Um, so you have like there's so many things that have to be done in order for it to even get to the point where you can even buy into it as a franchise. So because of that, people with money, banks, SBA, like they want to give you money to open up these places, even if you don't have 100% of the money in like liquid net worth or in, in capital, right? Correct. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers Agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. 
You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent Fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah. Correct. The franchises have that proven track record, as you indicated on that. So that part's all good and well. Yeah. So we have funding partners that will do that all the time. Uh, they do that they do funding for franchises all the time. That part's pretty simple. Yeah. As long as your credit's you know decent, if you got seven hundred or more credit, yeah, uh, you're good. The only other factor that comes into play on that is depending on the de- type of franchise you're looking at. You just have to have the net worth mm. uh, requirement, requirement that meets yeah. the the franchise for both the not only for the franchise system what they're looking for with that net worth requirement, but also for for the bank, the lending institutions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, do they do they ask for personal guarantees on those loans a lot? Some do. Some okay. will ask for personal guarantees on that. Absolutely. Is that you found typically based on credit or net worth or like just the type of loan or the type of business? Type of loan, type of business that okay. you're getting into on that. Okay. SBA is probably more apt to uh, to to want that, but yeah. there's other other uh, forms of, of funding that you can get into that you don't necessarily need that. Sure. And then the more you do it, the more they just give you more money, right? Like yeah. your very first franchise concept, they might be like, "Ah, oh, we want to see this and we want to see this and give us more of that." But your 12th one, they're like, oh, yeah, what do you need? How much do you need? Where do you want it? Yeah, here's more money. <laughs> once you get a good relationship like that and, you, and they know that you're doing well, yeah. Yeah, once you prove that you you can operate a business properly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I, I think I think uh, I, I liken it sometimes to um, to sales because I when I first jumped into uh, sales when I was younger, you know, early 20s, I was doing 100% commission door to door. And I thought I found like the key to getting rich. You know what I mean? Because I, I grew up middle class, you know, and I was just like. 100% commission sales. I'm making six figures. I'm 22 and I work 25 hours a week. This is awesome. Everybody should do this, you know? And I go recruit people and I and I and I bring in my friends and I'm trying to convince them to do this thing and I I recruit them, I train them, I bring them out on doors, I show them everything, and then a month later they quit. And I'm just like, "Well, what's going on? Like, why why isn't why doesn't this work for other people?" And just you start realizing that like as a form of sales, 100% commission door to door is one of the hardest ways to like dip your toes in the water. But what I started realizing was that some of those people would have probably been great at sales. Like that experience was enough to turn them off to sales as a whole because it was really difficult and too much rejection from the face. And they couldn't deal with the lack of knowing that a paycheck was coming or not coming if they didn't sell anything. Like they couldn't couldn't deal with some of those things. However, there's a lot of other sales jobs that are like, here's a $40,000 base salary. Here's a company car. Here's benefits. And then your commissions are based off, you know, the like. You're targeting 120 a year still, or 150 a year still. But here's some guarantee. Here's some base. You know, we give you company leads. You drive around. You meet with the leads. Then you sell them. And it's just like, well, those two forms of sales are so wildly different. But if you jump into this form of sales first, 
it probably turns you off to, you, you just think that you're not good at sales. You just think like, oh, sales isn't for me, right? Um, and I feel like that's kind of the same thing with franchises and starting a business is like kind of what you were describing with your experience with the laundromat. It was like, we had to figure out everything ourselves. And it was stressful and it was difficult. And we had to do, we had, we had to find out all these, we had to, we had to find all the solutions to the problems uh, that, that were coming up, which there are a lot in entrepreneurship. There are constantly problems. You're constantly putting out fires. Um, uh, so then, so then if somebody does that, that might, that experience might just tell them like, oh, you're not supposed to be an entrepreneur, go back to your job or whatever, you know? But the thing that I like about the franchise concept is that it's the easier form of selling. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody's already been the pioneer, figured out the majority of the problems, already solved the problems and are, are giving you a guidebook and a playbook to be successful with that thing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, the most de-risked way of taking risk that you can that you can get into, and especially now, uh, the reason I want to talk to you now about it is that I traditionally have like take, take I, I traditionally take my extra money and park it in real estate, just put it in real estate. But right now, interest rates are weird, prices are really high, cap rates are really low. It's just like man, there's not a lot of places to put your money where you can just depend on cash flow coming in. Um, but it seems like the franchise space is still one of those one of those industries, right? Oh, it is definitely so. <clears throat> Most of the time, you know, that's one of the other things that people think about is the fact that I have to run this full time. I have to be there all all, yeah. all day long, and that's just not the case. There's yeah. many unless different it's Chick Fil A. Yeah, it's Chick Fil A. <laughs> unless it's Chick Fil A, that's a very strange one. Great people, yeah. great company. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you're going to be there all. The but it's time. not. It's not. It's not even a real franchise. No, yeah. it, it's, it's ten thousand dollars to buy a really good job with some really good people. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you're buying a job at that point. Yeah, yeah. but it might be a good paying job, and it might be a great job. You might enjoy it, mm -hmm. but you don't own that restaurant. Like they can take it back from you. They can assign it to a different franchisor or a franchisee, and then bump you to a different store. And even if that store is producing twice as much as your new store, well, you get paid on production of your new store, not your old store. It's like they still own everything. It's a brilliant model for Chick-fil-A, right. but, and, and, and you know what, it, it also provides an opportunity for some people that maybe just like it, like we've talked about, don't have the big risk profile, but want the ability to have some sort of outsized earnings based on the work that they're putting into the store, you know? That's correct. You're absolutely correct about, you know, some things are good for others and some aren't. It's only 10,000. Whereas when you're getting into a franchise, if you get into a franchise restaurant, you're probably looking at four or 500,000. It is yours, as you indicated, to sell at the end of the day as well. And that goes for the service industry, which is only like 150000 to invest in. It's still yours at the end of the day to do it. Yeah. But it is a higher risk as compared to something like a, a Chick-fil-A because you're putting in your money to it. So in your mind, that's a bigger risk than if you're going to something smaller. So as you indicated, it just depends on the person. There's, yeah. There are different levels of risk. And that's what you know. Um, I go over with my clients to exactly where they're at. On risk levels. What when you sit down with somebody, if they're if like if I was if I were to go to you and just say, hey, look, I want to find like I'm I'm industry agnostic. I'm you know I don't care if it's food service or not food service, whatever. I want to jump into the franchise with the best proven profit margins. Mm -hmm. What are a few of those ones off the top of your head? What you want to look at then is you want to look at the ones that have been around for a long time. Okay. On that one. So you want to look at the, in the service industry with the best profit margins because then you don't have all that overhead. So you'd be looking at like um, uh, uh, the neighborly group, for instance. They have about 20 different franchises. You said neighborly group? Neighborly, yeah. Okay. So that's one that people don't think about all the time, along with the Belfort. The Belfort group would be the other one that would be another big one like that. So they have the 1-800 uh, uh, water damage. Um, they have packouts, which takes care of all your your stuff after it's been damaged and cleans it all out. They got the hoods, 
on there where they clean hoods. They've got ducks where they clean ducks. So they have a few different franchises within their franchise systems, and they've got a few hundred, if not thousands of franchisees out there, the wow. neighborly group, which is the biggest home services franchise company right. in the United States. So, so they, they, when you said 20 different, so they have like 20 different concepts that you right. could become a franchisee of, right. like roofing or siding or whatever. Ground guys, Mr. Rooter, Molly Maids, uh, Mr. Appliance. Okay. So you may, you may see some of those yep. Up yep. On, the, you know, on the news or being advertised sometime. Yeah. And each one of those concepts, they have, you know, a few hundred uh, franchisees in each one. And they've been around for many years. So that's got not only that great profit margin, yeah. because now you're in the services industry where a lot of those don't have a whole lot of overhead yeah. on that. But now you've also got a proven track record even more, yeah. because now you've got a few hundred franchises. And, and I think on the last check, only about maybe 5% of the franchises in the U.S. day of the 5,000 franchises have 100 or more franchisees in their system. Wow. So it five percent. About five percent, yeah. Wow. So there's a lot of franchises out there, but they just haven't quite grown to that. Yeah. Now, if you want to reduce that risk, you get into one of those groups, authority brands. Uh they have another one with um one hour heating and air conditioning, uh Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, Mr. Sparky, um, and they've got a couple others in there, and they've got, you know, hundreds of franchises in, in most each one of their brands yeah. as well. So now you're looking at a group uh that has been around for a while that has built up their franchisees. So your risk factor is going down a lot more. Yeah. And you have a lot of franchisees to talk to call upon to get that. Now, you'll come to me and you'll say, you know, I want the one that has the greatest ROI and I want the one that has the greatest amount of money. And I can't tell you that because of the Federal Trade Commission's ruling that yeah. if I don't collect that information, I can't tell you that. I can direct you towards ones that where I kind of got an idea of uh, sure. what you're going to be hearing. Because if, you know, I send you to something where you're saying, you know, I want to bring in a million dollars of revenue and the franchise brings in $100,000 revenue, you right. can say, Greg, you don't really know what, the, what you're <laughs> yeah, talking about there, exactly, buddy. Exactly, yeah. So I kind of got a feeling for, for what you, I just can't come out and say it, but I can direct you towards those. And Now, the, the one thing on those service-based ones, mm -hmm. so like you want to get into roofing, plumbing, air mm -hmm. conditioning, whatever. What if you've never done any of those things in your life? How, like, do are, are they training you from the get-go to just like, hey, your first hire is somebody who's, that's a tech that actually knows how to service an air conditioning unit. <laughs> like, and then how do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. do they require you or want you to have experience in that, in that field? Or are there, is their training just that good where they don't really, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't really affect it that much. You know, it's funny. Uh, I think it's, was it Mr. Reuter said, no, Mr. Handyman, do not bring us handyman. Mm. Handyman keep wanting to work in the business all the time. Yeah. And we don't want them working in the business. We want them working on the business. We want them growing the business. Yep. So, and when you get into uh, other ones that are more specialty oriented, like the, uh, the Mr. Reuter or the Benjamin Franklin Plumbing or the Mr. Sparky, you're going to be hiring a master plumber hmm. or a master electrician to do it. So they're going to be the ones that are really running everything yep. for you. You just work on the business, building the business up, doing that. Their training, uh, as you indicated, is that good. Yeah. Where they'll show you everything, everything you need to know about it. You don't need to know how to go in there and yeah. and decide fix the drain. Uh, yeah, yeah, fix right. the drain or the AC unit. <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, if you if you want to, I'm sure you, you could do the undercover boss or not so undercover boss, sure. and just go in there with your people, and they'd appreciate the fact that you get involved in that. But they don't want yeah. you in there. Doing that. They want you outside of that, going out and letting people Finding know customers, branding more. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're the local owner operator of the business. That's what the franchising thing is all about. You're the local owner operator. Get yourself known in that community yeah. and go out there and do it. That's what they want you to do. From the time that you open your first franchise, let's say you know, you're know you dipping your toe in the water, you go, you open your first one, 
Um, but you don't want like, because I've thought about this in some ways where I'm just like, I mean, yeah, I, I know that I know that if I plugged into one of those things, I've, I'm, you know, pretty good at selling. I'm decent at marketing. I, I think that I could like bring a unique spin to the, to the concept and, um, and see it flourish and do well. But also I'm like, but I don't want to be an operator of, uh, you know, air conditioning business for the next 25 years, you know, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. at what point along the way, do you see where franchisees start being able to kind of pull themselves out of the business, find a general manager? Like, is this, is this a multi-location thing? Do you have to have 12 of those franchise locations or three, or, you know, is that just dependent on profit margin so you can hire somebody? Uh, what, what have you found to be typical? Like if you're, if you're getting into franchises, because at some point you just want to start opening more and have some passive income coming in. Um, how, how long, I guess, is the path to passive income? Because a lot of it, it it's different than real estate, you know, like you buy a rental you can have property manager and you basically do nothing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you still do some things, but out of 365 days, you're, you know, thinking about that property, maybe 20 to 30 of them, uh, rather than like every single day when you own a business. So what, I, yeah, what, what's the path to passive income on franchises? So first off, <clears throat> some franchises will allow, to be, uh, allow you to be semi-passive owners on that. So 10 to 15 hours a week okay. is what you're doing. Uh, and it doesn't, both industries uh, or both types, the brick and mortar and the, and the service industry. When you say they allow you to, they, mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, d- does that mean that like they just technically their rules allow you to run it that way or the system is set up so that you can run it effectively even if you only have 15 hours a week or whatever? Both. Okay. Both. So the first of all, they, they've got to want it. Just like if you remember back when they were uh, on that movie, The Founder uh, with the guy from McDonald's, he realized uh, pretty quick that doing that semi-passive thing was not the way to go for him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he wanted the owner-operator. He wanted uh, husband and wife, mm-hmm. or in this day, spouse-spouse, uh, teams to run it yeah. because the semi-passive didn't work for him to begin with. Mm-hmm. Same thing with some of these other franchises. Some of them, uh, semi-passive will work. Some of them, they won't. Okay. But you want ones with the model that's already set up yeah. semi-passively to do that. So you can really start that from day one. And I think there's, I have like four franchises that you can actually do completely passive okay. where they actually have a management team that they'll put in place for you. So you don't have to think about it all oh, that no much okay. on there. But from day one, and it just depends on the industry, but what you're looking for is the fact that they've done it a few times so you're not the first yes. semi-passive. I want to be the test. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Unless you're a brave entrepreneur, which I still get brave entrepreneurs, some emerging franchise point, brands, yeah. uh, that they can, they can do that, but they'll have that model already set up for you and okay. they allow you to do it. Okay. Got it. Got it. So when you first sit down with somebody, what's like the first question you typically go into? What's the first, what, what are the first, you know, steps that you're trying to uncover? So the first thing I, I do is just say, you know, uh, ask me anything you want and tell me all about yourself Okay. on that. So when they tell me all about them, which they usually start off with is, is I get kind of a feel for them where they're, where they're at in life Yeah. on that sort of thing. And then I said, you know, ask me anything you want about franchising. So we can get out of the way right away if they have any misconceptions on that. Yeah, I heard that, you know, if I get into uh, this donut franchise that, you know, by the end of the year, I should be up to like a million dollars, a couple million dollars in, in revenue and a couple hundred thousand and, you know, taking home pay. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you're not going to be rich quite that great. It's going to yeah. take a little while. So we want to get those things out of the way to begin with on there to make certain that they have realistic expectations. Sure of what's happened on that. So those are the, the the first questions is just let's get those expectations out of the way so we can so I can really uh figure out if those expectations are real or not for what you have and then give me some background about yourself. Have you found that there are certain people who shouldn't 
open a franchise? Yes. In terms of personality or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. My younger entrepreneurs quite often are a bit of a challenge okay. because they want to do a lot of the things themselves hmm. on that. My older entrepreneurs, not so much because they have done it themselves and they don't want to go through all that again. They said, I, I still want to run a business. I still want to go strong, but I know what it takes to build that business up from the start. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. So some of the younger ones where they uh, want to necessarily, they want to get into a franchise, but they have their own ideas a lot of times mm. to do that. And I can usually figure it out if they don't like to follow my process. My process is pretty simple. I yeah. have a pretty simple process. You know, you, you schedule a call with me. You know, you get to know me to make certain that you're okay with me. I send you out a questionnaire. You get that filled out. We send out, set up another call. We talk about you for a half hour, hour. Uh, you know, if they can't follow that, can get that questionnaire filled out too good. It's kind of, you know, short and clipped and so like that. It's probably not a good fit because you're not sure. wanting to follow that sort of thing because that's what the franchise is all about is you've got that playbook, right. follow it. Don't try and be different to begin with. So a younger entrepreneur that uh, really has their own ideas about things yeah, might be a little bit- A little cocky. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hasn't got hasn't gotten beaten down by life yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the rest of us, yeah. There you go. Oh man, that's funny. Okay, so uh you came out with this book, Real mm-hmm. Freedom, uh, which I want to make sure we talk about why franchises are worth considering and how they can be used for building wealth. Where can we find a copy of this? Go to my website, franchisemaven.com. Cool. Franchisemaven.com, which is also where they can set up a consultation with you if they want sure to can. explore um opening up a franchise for themselves. Yeah, you can just go to schedule a call with me, or if you click on more information and you give me your address, I'll send you out uh, a copy, a free copy. So, and you don't even have to have a conference consultation with me. I'll still send you out a copy just to give me your address. The question really, Greg, is why? Why do all of this? You've been successful in your career. You have multiple investments. You have money coming in. You got high net worth. Like what? Why do this now at this stage? Because- the book was because everybody kept asking me the same questions over and over again. Hmm. So I thought, and you know, in franchising, you know, it sounds like a real a nice, uh, I wouldn't say job to have, but nice business to run. Uh, but there's a lot of people that come to you with just one information. So I thought, okay, if you just want information, that's fine. Yeah. I don't need to have to necessarily sit down and talk with you. And you don't always want to sit down and talk with me on a regular basis. Sure. So why don't I just put down the process that we go through, that how to find that franchise, how to investigate that franchise and give you some real-world examples of people that I worked with so that you can go through there. And you get to know me a little bit in the book, too. Um, and I realize there's other franchise consultants out there, so you know, go out there and check out a few. I'm hoping you'll come to me. But in this case, you'll get to know me, and you'll get to think, you know, that's somebody I want to talk to, or I've got enough information, so I'm good for now. But yeah. I just want them to have that information. So then why do this at all? So that, that answers why the book, but why franchise consulting? Why, like, why, like, why not just... Be good with the stuff that you've already done and keep doing all that stuff. Why, 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 why are you doing this? Because everything that I do on the side doesn't quite fill up my entire day. So I still have about three hours left each day. Hmm. So I need to fill it up. So I'm just back to being bored. Back to being bored. Been another 15 years, I guess. (laughs) I got, uh, so in case you're wondering, 10 years now in the franchising world. So if you're going to give me a call, you got five more years left to do before (laughs) I'm going to get bored. Okay, I got to go do something else. I just Maybe enjoy podcasting. Yeah. Point, yeah, there you go. There you go. I just enjoy helping people and I enjoy talking to people. I live out in the farm out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and I do a lot of, we got a lot of critters, a lot of farm stuff, but I got a few hours each day. So I like to get all this information out because not everybody's going to be doing it. So it really kind of whittles down the ones that are real serious about it. Sure. So sure. then I can spend about three hours a day. And it's a lot of fun that I still enjoy talking with people. Who would be somebody out there who you're like, 
I've I've seen people in this career type or personality type or something that I feel like these are these people should be looking at this option so much more than and they're not doing it. So like for me, for instance, like we do a lot of work with mm-hmm. pe- teaching people podcasting and teach people how to create content, teach people how to put stuff out there online and everything. And there's always like a couple of vocations that I'm like, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't fathom why you wouldn't be doing this if you're in this space type of a thing. Is there anybody that you're looking at, like, you know, that you're like, man, these people should really, really consider a franchise even more so than others. Absolutely. Podcasters. No, just kidding. <laughs> Not kidding, but sort of. Uh, People who have, you know, the amazing thing is if you're already in a business or in a corporation and you're managing a group of people, you're already running a business. Yeah. You're an an entrepreneur. Yeah. There's no reason in the world why you shouldn't, it doesn't matter which one, just pick one. Yeah. Just come to me and tell me, Greg, go give the ones with that, have the most money coming in. I don't care what it is. I just want to make the most money again. I'll send you a few. Well, how, how realistic is it to like be working a 40, 50 hour a week, high demand, high stress job? And still open up one of these on the side and have it be successful. How realistic is that? Uh, very realistic. I did it when I was an engineer. I worked from seven to five, sometimes more than that on there. And uh, then I got into- I Seven got into, to five, like at your job? At the desk. That's what I didn't like about it. Okay. Got to be there at seven. Can't leave before five. You get dinged. Yep. They want to see you at your desk. It's okay if you take a half an hour or so for lunch. Yep. Most of the time. But <laughs> they want to see you at your desk. So that's- it's why you got to get away from that. You, you really, I did that and I did the, the, um, the dry cleaner thing, but I could still do it. And I didn't know anything about dry cleaning. I didn't have anybody to help me out with the dry cleaning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just me and the engin- uh, my engineer engineering friend. So we did that. So with a franchise, you've already got somebody there that's going to help you out. So you'll be one, one step ahead of me that I was. And I, I, you know, I was a manager in the restaurant industry for a while. So I was, I was good at people and knew how to manage people, but it can be done, and it is realistic. You will sacrifice yeah. some of your time. You, to get to where you want to be, you're going to have to take a look down the road and see what kind of sacrifices do I want to yeah. make. It's unrealistic to think that it's going to be completely passive. It really, yeah. It really is, no matter what you do, because it's your money. Yep. You're spending it, so your mind, no matter what. I mean, if you put it in the stock market, your mind's still on a little bit. You mm-hmm. put it into real estate, your mind's still on a little bit. At first, your mind's going to be on it quite a little bit more than just a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's still very mm-hmm. realistic, but you got to realize that if you're going to get into something like that, unless you just want to step away from the job completely, yeah. some sacrifices must be made. And it really just comes down to, is this the time and place for you to make that sacrifice or not? Yeah. And that's what I help people with. Decide. And that'd be kind of one of the things that they roll through with you as well, to just to be like, hey, look, I don't want to like, I, I, actually, I actually like my job. I, I don't want to leave my job. I like my job fulfills me, but I have- a hundred grand in this account, 50 grand, 150 grand, whatever. I got some, I got some money sitting here that I don't know what to do with. And I want to put it in something that's going to generate me some money that also has some long-term benefits. If I continue to open up more of them, you know, like what, what can I do that would enable me to successfully run something on the side while I'm working 40, 50 hours a week. And then you would kind of have different recommendations based off of that specification. Oh, absolutely. We'll look at, just take a look at what we did before. Is just you know what do you what do you likes what do you like what do you don't like, uh, so it just comes down to if you're looking for semi passive semi passive I already know how much time you want to put into it ten to fifteen hours so now it's just a matter of what types of businesses do you like to run, and people don't know what types of businesses they like to run they they know what types of businesses they do not like to run, <laughs> so that's where we start. I tell I ask them right off what is there any industry or business out there that you do not like yeah. and that you want to stay away from so I start from there. 
And then what I'll do is I'll come up with four or five different businesses in different industries. We'll start from there. It's all about education with me. I'm all about educating people about the options that they have. Yeah. Once you start getting that education, once you start looking at those franchises, then you really start thinking about them. I got a matrix of business types that'll help us out. That gives us different types of uh, uh, franchises, different types of businesses and different sectors that we have on there. But once you start you know, getting into that and you start learning that, then the creative mind starts flowing. Then people really start thinking, oh, I can do that. Oh, what about this? Or what about that? So then we really start narrowing it down from there so that we can hone in on just that one. That's a good one for them. What are some, most, what are, what are some of the most underrated franchises you think, like industries or types or actual brands that you work with that are just really underrated that you're like, this one doesn't get enough attention, but it's a really great one to own? Sure. Uh, Fiber New. Uh, leather, vinyl, uh, plastic repair. Fiber Ooh. New. Fiber new, yes. Who doesn't need leather, vinyl, plastic repair? Hmm. You think about any kind of business that you go into, they've all got it. They don't want to have to replace that piece of furniture or anything like that. Boats, hotels, Mm -hmm. restaurants. Mm -hmm. You make it look better than almost brand new again. Hmm. It's a very high, it's in the niche. The the niches are are really what, uh, really what brings it out, that sort of thing. Uh, the restoration industry, that's one where people don't think about. Restoration, like Water, from flood fire. damage or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They think of, uh, you know, hurricanes, which we think of when we think of restoration. Well, sure, hurricanes roofing, and natural right. disasters don't happen all that often. Right. Well, you'd be surprised how often that those pipes break or that a mm. fire breaks out somewhere or, you know, somebody's got a hoarding issue to deal yeah. with. Uh, that's a niche industry itself. And it's a business to business industry if you're into business to business because you're working with the insurance companies rather than working with the consumers. Mm. You help the consumers. You're the consumer superman or superwoman. Yeah. I, I assume, what, is, is it easier to get paid out from insurance companies than it is consumers or is it more difficult? I don't know that it's any harder. I've never heard or had any issues with anybody going into that sort of thing. The franchisers have it down pretty good. Yeah. And they've got their relationship with those insurance companies. Yeah. Uh, but it makes the sale easier, right? Because because at that point, like the the customer is not even paying for the product, right? Like you're coming in and saying, like, "Hey, do you have damage? Yes. Would you like that fixed? Yes. Okay. Would you like to not pay for it? Yes. All right. Sign here. You know, like it's it seem seemingly a pretty easy sale compared to some other products where you actually have to build value in the product and differentiate yourself from other competitors and convince them to go with you versus somebody else or something like that, right? True, but most of the time it's from the insurance company that calls you up and says, I got a customer that I need you to go fix. Interesting. It's not from the- So the leads are actually coming from the insurance company. That's why it's business to business. You get in front of those insurance company. That's where we have a great franchise that puts you in front of those insurance companies. That when that happens, consumer calls insurance company, insurance company calls you. You're just B2B, but you're helping those people out. They're super people. Wow. Ah, I'm going to go fix it for you. You're good. Interesting. So they provide the leads and they pay you for the job. Yep. <laughs> And I assume the franchise, the, the the franchisor, the franchise actually has a lot of those relationships set up, and they're not going to let you open in a in a location where they maybe don't have those things set up already. Right. That's essential that they've already had have relationships with those people. That is correct. Yeah. With those in different insurance companies in the area that you're in, they usually have them throughout the United States. So if you're going to get into a restoration uh, service franchise, you're going to make certain that they have those. What about car washes? Uh, I haven't seen too many car washes recently. Really. <laughs> Amazingly enough. You know, um, we used to have a couple of them, uh, but I don't see them uh, coming out anymore. For some reason, they they went away. The same thing with laundromats. I don't see a whole lot of car washes, and I don't see a whole lot of laundromats anymore. Hmm. We've got a couple of them. Do you have any theories as to why that is? 
just not a big uh, a car or laundromat shell. Laundromats are rather uh, expensive, uh, a high investment on that one. Uh, the so car- to get into to open? Yeah, because the equipment that's required on that. Sure. And I think there's a lot of them that you can just buy mm-hmm. um, that are pre-existing, that are privately owned. Yeah. Uh, that there's not, a, there's not a huge call for them. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing with the car washes. I haven't seen, I haven't had a whole lot of people or it hasn't been a real big uh, call for that. Although we do have a few, uh, it's usually that comes with the other automotive franchises. So I'll have that as an add-on uh, to getting into the automotive, their automotive. Like thing what? Is, is that they'll have, so they'll have your mechanical shop here and then they'll they'll put on a, uh, a car wash. Gotcha. Into that. Gotcha. Okay. But, but, but in terms of like the actual call. car wash by itself, there's not many of those. No. It might be that they're just not making that by themselves the kind of money that the most people are looking for. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, is there besides uh, restoration and stuff like that? If you're if you're looking for food service specifically, what what are some of the best ones over there? Is it still like Jimmy John's and Jersey Mike's and stuff like that? Yeah, a lot of the sandwich shops are they they still seem to be doing uh, pretty good. Teriyaki Madness is probably one of the ones that we work with that hour doing. Uh, they got over hundred. Over 100 franchisees for for the Asian food market on okay. that one. Uh, that's that's great food. I like it. Yeah, I don't order it enough to be honest. I always forget about it. There's one like 10 minutes from here. Ah. But yeah, it's it's really good food. I like those ones. Yeah, they're they're doing good. Um, but yeah, some of the sub shops uh, like Jimmy John's are still doing still doing good. I don't work with those folks. I don't. I couldn't tell you specifically okay. how they're doing. I work with Teriyaki Madness, and that's probably one of the only one of the largest ones that anybody would know about that I um, that I work with on a regular basis. Okay. Um, so you, it sounds like anyway, you are more setting people up outside of the food industry. Was that correct to assume or no? That is mostly because of the fact that one of the one asked that question, what industry don't you want to get into? It mostly comes out as food mm. for some, whatever strange reason or, or other that people just yeah. say, I don't want to do food. Well, food that. tends to be like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you had a lot of experience in this area, but like food, food industry is one of the more difficult ones to be successful in, right? Just because of sheer competition, like liability, health services, sourcing products, specializ- specialization in preparing the food in terms of like some, if, like the more complicated it is, the more difficult it is to find people that are skilled enough to actually make the food and not screw it up, right? Like it's more specialized work. Um, margins tend to be lower. It's more expensive to open. Um, I think it's margins and more expensive. You can still get the people to do it, and with a good franchise, we got a couple good bar or a good bar out there that I work with once in a while. But I think a good from, bar, you said? Yeah, I, I forget what it's called. I'd have to look that one up because okay. it's a it's a million dollar investment on that one. It's a a sports bar, a yeah. restaurant thing. But getting the people is is not too much of a challenge because they've got the menus and everything there for you on there. So that's you get a lot of turnover in that one. Okay. I think it's just the expense and the fact that, as you were alluding to there. Travis said there's a lot of intricacies that are involved with that. You know, you've got your health inspector coming in on yeah. a regular basis. You've got your hood inspector, which is where we were talking about hoods before the Belfort group. That's what hoods does is go on there and cleans those out. So there's a lot of little things that you have to keep track of. I have to keep track of as a restaurant manager that people yeah. just don't necessarily want to get involved in. Do you find the restaurants have a, a, a correlation to the um, economic cycle at all compared to like some of these service things? Because some of the services, like they're just, they're going to always be needed. You always have to have certain services, regardless of if the economy is doing well or the economy is doing poorly. Um, and I, food seems one of those things like seemingly people would make the correct decision when they're running out of money and they would just go buy bread and peanut butter and make peanut butter sandwiches. But people 
are consumers, you know, especially Americans. We were built to consume and we're especially built to consume food. Um, so, yeah. uh, did you know, do you notice, uh, like downtimes and in, in when, when, when the economy's down or when the economy's up, is the restaurant business surging or is it, uh, compressing or anything like that? Or is it pretty much always, you know, something that people engage in? It's always something that people engage in. Now, don't get me wrong. Restaurant franchises aren't bad or anything like that. They're just different to run and not, and it takes a special person as we were talking about the different special people that we can do it. The biggest challenge I think that that the restaurants had and that any uh, brick and mortar uh, place had was during the COVID mm. when it was hard to get people to uh, be able to go in there because of the city's sure. uh, directions on that. So the uh, restaurants that really took off were the ones that will give the uh, to, to go to the takeout services, curbside oh, yeah. services, <laughs> or if you could do that, or delivery services, yep. if you could do that. But they do have a tendency, I think, we had a big surge in yogurt, if you remember. Oh yeah, yogurt. frozen yogurt. Yeah, frozen oh, yeah. yogurt. That was the that was the shit for a while. Yeah, yeah. let's go do that. Yeah. Uh, and then my funding people, they finally, the uh, first time that I've been working with them, said, "No more. Don't bring us any more of that frozen yogurt stuff. Really, that frozen stuff. We're not touching it because too many of them are closing down because it was a fad. So that was another thing you got to watch yeah, out for. Is when you're looking into a business like that, it was a fad from a consumer yeah. standpoint. So like people just aren't buying frozen yogurt as much as they were. No, doesn't appear so because we're not seeing that. I think it was a big thing that all of a sudden everybody liked frozen yogurt. They thought it was a big thing. And then all of a sudden all these franchisers thought all this or all these businesses that were doing just fine as local uh, frozen yogurt shops. Yeah. They said or they thought that, well, I can just expand. I'm doing so well here. Why don't I expand out? And everybody did it at the same time. Yeah. For whatever reason. And that was kind of like a fad. And I think it. It kind of went away after that, so you got to be kind of careful. Of the yeah, I've noticed a couple of like a couple of ones that we used to go to, like around here, are closed. They were yeah. there for like a year, year and a half, and then yeah, yeah. they. But I mean, to your point, when we were in there, first of all, the service was terrible, and then they ask you for a tip. The, that was like the weirdest one for me. It's like I understand, I understand food industry and tips and stuff, and and I and I'm typically a very generous tipper for actual people that deserve tips. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, the frozen yogurt ones drove me crazy because like I do everything I'm serving myself and then I'm putting the toppings on and then I set it on the scale and then you flip the thing over. I put my card in, you don't touch anything except for flip the screen to me. And then you ask for a tip on that. I just like got so frustrated with that. Um, and then like the whole time they're sitting behind the counter on their phone, like don't even say hello you know what I mean? It's just like, what you want a tip for spinning the screen to me? Like I could have done that too. So like, why don't you give me a tip for doing all of your work for you? You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's, it seemed, it seemed in that, in that particular location too, it just was never busy. Service was terrible. There was yogurt on the table. You know what I mean? It's just like, when it closed down, it was not something that was super surprising to me, but it's interesting that that's not just a low, like, that's not just my anecdotal experience. It seems to be a trend. If, Finance companies won't even back them anymore. Yeah, that was probably five, six years ago. I think that was, if I remember correctly, on that one. Hmm. Wow, that it was. So, yep, look out for fads uh, yeah. on that when you're getting into businesses. Are you seeing any like really cool, new, innovative concepts coming out right now that you're excited about? Uh, the one that I'm watching right now would be the ones where they center around robots uh, and taking over for people in like hotels, motels, that sort of thing. Hmm. That's one to keep an eye on. I don't know if it'll go anywhere. What? <clears throat> Explain explain more about that. So you're saying that the company provides that service for hotels and stuff, or okay, yeah, you'll, gotcha. you'll have a franchise that's coming out that's doing that, providing that service for hotel and motels. Gotcha. And I know that they are selling franchises right now. That is one to watch. Interesting. I, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows at this point in time where it's or how far it'll go. 
I'm curious to see how long it'll be before they have the, you know, have you seen those bars with like the robot arms and they like serve you the drinks and stuff? That seems like, it seems like somebody will make that into a franchise concept at some point, a bar that that's just the self-serving robot ones instead of having actual bartenders there. Um, but that would probably be a fad as well. Yeah. That's again, you know, uh, if you, you really have to, when you're looking at those emerging franchises like that and the new things that are coming out. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a lot of extra money and you don't mind taking that risk, it just yeah. may be the next best thing. You know, sure. if you went with Orange Theory at the time, who oh, knew man. that that would have taken off? No kidding. Yeah, that's crazy. That, is that yeah, a pretty yeah. profitable one? That's a that seems yeah, to that be one's one good. of the one of the fitness franchises that really did really good yeah. and uh, really took off. You know, I got hit up the other day by this franchise that they're they're franchising the concept of these um um the like street bars you know what I'm talking about where like uh if you if you go to if you go to Nashville there's one on every freaking yeah. street corner with a new bachelorette party in there like wooing to death right would, but yeah. like, there's like they're, you're, you're you're like pedaling it's like yep. a yeah you're you inside pedaling and then you get served drinks or whatever um but I I got an I got somebody reaching out to me trying to sell me one of those franchises um like a month or two ago and I was like oh that might that seems kind of interesting it's, it seems like probably really low overhead probably pretty cheap to get into one and just to test it out and we, I happen to live in Vegas, you know, so it's probably not a bad place to True. to uh, to start one of those. But um, it, it's it's but it's also kind of one of the questions I ask myself is like that might do well for a couple of years, but is that like once once it's seen all over the place, is it really going to continue doing well? Right, like the like the scooters. Um, I think I think the first scooter, the first big scooter business, it's not Lime, it's the other one, um, Bird. I. I think I just read something recently on them. I don't know. Maybe you can check me on this, Eric, so I don't um, stick my foot in my mouth. Um, but I think Bird went out of business, went bankrupt, or um, uh, so- something negative, like a big negative headline that I read in the news about them. See if you can find anything on that, Eric. Um, uh, and bankruptcy. Yeah. So Bird filed bankruptcy, and it was one of those things that was just like, it seems like that would just do really well. Why isn't that? You know what I mean? But it's it. it uh, had to be some one of those fad things where it was like this was cool for a while but now it's kind of flooded there's like six different types of scooters on the corner i have to download five different apps if i want to really get use it to get around town they clutter up cities people don't actually like the look of them anywhere um and once the novelty you know dies down so does the demand and then all of a sudden there's too much supply and then the goes out of business that's what kind of that's kind of what i was thinking about that biking bar franchise was just like uh, maybe that would do well for a little while, but as soon as like people got used to seeing them flooding the streets everywhere, I, I just feel like it wouldn't be as cool of a thing. You know, I could be wrong. No, I could be wrong. That's the tough part <clears throat> when you're getting into the emergency ones is just, uh, you know, predicting that. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, you can kind of predict the stock market to some extent, but it's the same thing that you're doing with there with, uh, yeah. with that. You're just kind of gambling a little just bit. Just pick the boring one, guys. Just pick the boring you know, essential one. Essential services, you know, yeah. that as we were talking about, I mean, you, if it's broke, Yep. It's got to be fixed. Right. It's got to be fixed now. It doesn't matter what right. the economy is doing. Like you will have to have AC this summer. You will. Yeah, right. It's you not an option. Got to be able to flush your toilet so that plumber is going to be out there. Got to have those lights right. to get that electricity on. It's just, just some things that are just not going to go out of style. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why that's why I love this conversation, man, because there's, there's, so, there's so many options. You know what I mean? There, there's so many different types of things that you could do you know, um, different risk profiles and everything. But, um, I appreciate you coming on the show. Is there, is there, um, besides your website, anywhere else that people can go connect with you or anything? Oh, just go to my website or just send me an email at greg at franchisemaven.com or just Perfect. pick up the phone and give me a call at 361-772-6401. 
rewind that back, listen to that, or you have somebody giving out their number to give them a call who's an expert in these things. So take advantage of that stuff. That's why we do the show. It's called Travis Makes Friends uh, so that I can make friends with really interesting people and you guys can all share in that friendship. So um, uh, go if you are curious or interested about any of this and you're not really sure you want to take the next step and book a call or anything, then go pick up a copy of his book at franchisemaven.com. Um, and then, um, you know, he, he's not going to bite. So don't be afraid to schedule a consultation, sit down with them and see if this is a path that might be um, uh, working well for you. Last question for you um, before I let you go. Great. Or actually two more questions. Um, this one is, is there heading into a weird year? It's an election year. Interest rates are kind of screwy. They're saying they're going to come down. Um, pricing is really high. Inflation is rampant. Like, is there, are you seeing anything from a macroeconomic um, perspective that would prevent you from recommending people to jump into franchises at this time? Or is it just going to change up your recommendation on the franchise? No, it won't make any difference whatsoever. Okay. On that, if we go into a recession, <clears throat> then I'm going to get busy. Okay. People get laid off, I get busy. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yeah. There, these the businesses that you get into are, and especially if you don't want to have to worry about getting laid off. And just like we talked about, Travis, if you want to get into essential services, we'll get one that's available in your area and we'll get you a good one and you'll get busy. That's okay. all there is to it. Cool. Um, last question then for you. This is a question I've asked hundreds of people on the show. Curious to hear your answer. Uh, who you know or what you know? Which of those two is the more important asset in life and why? Uh, what you know is, is always good. Uh, it, it's always good to be educated on that. You can investigate who knows the best but you what you know and the more of what you know about what you know about uh, is always essential education is absolutely essential in life greg thanks so much for coming on the show i appreciate you coming all the way out to vegas for this uh, we'll continue getting you on some more shows as well in fact if you're watching this and you're interested in having greg on your show reach out to my team at guestio and we will uh, make the coordination happen for you um thanks so much for doing this dude this is really awesome uh thanks so much for everybody watching listening for tuning in, uh, catch you guys on the next episode. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Peace. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.